Well, let me draw your attention back over to the lazy boy. We've been talking the last couple weeks about this idea that we do need to be comfortable from time to time, that we do need to find our way to the lazy boy from time to time. We got to park ourselves here and the lazy boy from time to time. But, But this is not where God has called us to live though, right? We've been saying that God God has something more from us and wants something more for us than just the lazy boy type of experience. That he wants to literally call us out of this. And and so uh, he's called us to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That God's called us to something more than just our own little world. That he's called us to build his kingdom in this world. And it was Jesus who said it this way. I want you to follow me on this. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, now now pause for a second. I realize that this is not the best message opener because it's not like a soft sell. But, But this is what Jesus said. He said, if you want to do life with me, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, he says, you must deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow him. And the idea of a cross is what? It's death. You see, it just seems to me that there is this cost associated with following Jesus. God doesn't seem to mind calling us out of our lazy boy experience. He doesn't seem to mind calling us to a spiritually uncomfortable existence. God does not seem to mind uh, calling us to more in our lives. God doesn't seem to mind calling us out of our own little kingdom to build his kingdom. And as far as I can tell, His kingdom's a little bit bigger than ours, a little grander than ours, and will last a whole lot longer than ours. Y'all hear me on this? Amen? And so here's what I would like to do today. Um, It's going to be a little bit different for us. I I just want us to go into one very, very simple passage of Scripture. Just just one little little passage of Scripture. And we're just going to just kind of read it. And then everything else that we talk about today is just going to be filtered through that first passage of Scripture. So we're not going to dive into a story that comes from the life of Jesus, which we do a lot around here. If you've been around here, you know that we'll often take like an Old Testament, kind of a big thought or a big story, and we'll kind of walk our way through it, or, or we'll link a whole bunch of verses together. We're not going to do any of that today. We're just going to land on one very, very simple passage of scripture. And then I want to give you some thoughts that my guests are going to make you very, very uncomfortable spiritually. And so if you got a Bible or if you got a smartphone, I'm just going to dial into one little passage. It's found in the book of Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. I'm just going to kind of read it for you. You can follow along on the screens if you'd like. It says this, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and you go, that's what I believe right there. I mean, that, you, you look at that and that's like good news to me because it's not just like some people, it's not just the good people, it's not just the church people, it is everyone and whoever and no matter whatever you've done, it's like for everyone. Whoever calls on God, whoever turns their life over to God, God will meet them and God will save them. And to me, this is what I believe. And this is what a whole bunch of us in this room believe. We believe this is the good news of God. That no matter where you've been, if you turn your heart toward him, he will stop and listen and he will forgive and he will will do a work inside of you that you never thought possible. Amen? Anybody believe that in this room? Well, it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But check this out. Then he goes, 
But how then can they call on the one they have not even believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And this is possibly the most spiritually uncomfortable truth presented in God's word, that there is a time and a place in all of our lives without exception, that we are called to share our deepest faith and our greatest hope. And and let's just be honest, for many people in this room, probably for most people in this room, the idea of opening your mouth and actually speaking of the name of Jesus freaks us right out. to, To share something that is so personal to you and so controversial in, in, in culture, it, it scares us. And we start to think, well, I'm not like a televangelist. Well, thank God. Thank God. And we start to think, well, what if I say something wrong? What if I do something wrong? What if I don't know what to say, when to say it, or how to say it? What if I say it and it just comes out all mixed up? Well, that might happen. As a matter of fact, if you ever paid attention to some of the headlines in the news, I just looked up a couple of them and it caught my attention. Sometimes we mean to say one thing, but it actually comes out sounding another way. Check out this headline. True story. Just a headline off the news. It says, two convicts evade noose, jury hung. (laughs) Isn't that great? I mean, who wrote that? It put that on the front of a paper, right? Here's my favorite one, though. It, It says, sex education delayed. Teachers request training. (laughs) What a great job, you know? Well, relax, friends. None of us are pros when it comes to sharing faith. No one is a pro. No one gets it right all the time. No one knows exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. Um, Even this word evangelism. How many in the room have even heard this word evangelism? Anybody in the room here? It's a scary word. Like if I mention something about evangelism, how many of you immediately have like this negative reaction where you're going to go, oh no, the pastor's going to make me memorize something, memorize a script, memorize some verses, memorize five talking points, and and they're going to make us rehearse. Anybody have like negative connotations immediately? Let's just be honest. When when pastor brings up the idea of evangelism, come on, you are a bunch of liars. I know you do. I know you do, right? Because, and that's natural inside of us. Do you, do you know what this word evangelism means? It's very interesting. Eve, E-V, it means good. So think about at the very beginning of the scriptures when it said God created the heavens and the earth. He looked at it and he said it is good. Do you remember this? He said it's good. Genesis chapter one, right? And he goes through and he creates the garden and all the animals. And He says it's good. And then eventually uh, he looks at man being alone. He says it's not good. And so he creates a woman to go with man, right? And the man goes, whoa, whoa, man. <laughs> wow, right? And so they call it the woman. And what did the man name the woman? Eve. It's Hebrew for good. Good. So Eve means good. And what's... Um, The end part, angel, it literally means message. So evangelism literally means good messagizing. It literally means taking a good message somewhere, taking a good hope somewhere. It means good messagizing. And and friends, listen, that scares us because first of all, there's a whole bunch of us in this very room who go, 
I know I'm not good. I mean, like, I can't carry a good message because I'm not worthy to carry a good message. I don't got it right in my own life. How can I ever share it for somebody else's life? Pause. How many of us think that? Right here. We think, well, we're not together. We're not good. How can we carry a good message? And that's true. And then we think, of course, I'm not going to be any good at it, even if I do carry it, because I've never been trained. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know when to say it and how to say it. And I'm going to screw it all up. And those are legitimate fears. Um, But friends, I want us to get beyond our fears. I I want us to think about the value and the importance of the call of God on each of our lives to get out of the lazy boy and to get into the kingdom work of God of spreading his love and grace and this good message that we are supposed to carry into the world. There's a man named Francis Schaeffer. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's a Christian writer, preacher, um, great thinker, philosophizer. And um, he's passed now, but but dead people can be really smart, right? And, And he wrote about this idea of evangelism, this thing called evangelism, sharing our deepest faith and our greatest hope. And and this is basically what he says. He says, how many times have you reached out beyond yourself to to somebody who is not like you, somebody who is far from God, somebody who might hurt or reject or belittle you in some way? Um, Sure, it's a danger to you, it's a danger to your family possibly, and you must be careful. But have you ever risked it? Have you ever risked anything? Have you ever really sacrificed anything? Have you ever really laid it all on the line for somebody else for the sake of Christ in your life? Have you ever done this where you opened your mouth to share about the good news of Christ? And then he says this. If you have, if you have been a quiet spectator as our culture crumbles, listen, he says, if you've ever just sat idly by as the world slips further and further and further away from God, then he asks this question. He says, the question I have is, then do you really believe that people are going to hell? Friends, if we just sit idly by and watch our families and our children and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers slip into eternity without the love and grace of God, then we need to ask the hard question, do we really believe that they're going to spend an eternity away from God in this place called hell? You see, friends, there is a certain motivation that those of us who have found the goodness of God and the grace of God, we have. Because we believe that we want people to spend eternity with God. We want them to go to this place called heaven forever. Amen? That's our motivation. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we really believe that Jesus made our life better? Do we really believe that Jesus will make their life better? Do we really believe that Jesus is our hope and Jesus is their hope for all of eternity? We, we, we got to ask ourselves the question, do we really believe the words of Jesus when he said, go into all the world? You, 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 and me. Go into all the world and make disciples. Or do we just simply go, well, that was a nice little thing he said, and I really hope somebody else does it. Do we really believe that's the call for our generation? Or are we just grateful for a generation who came before us and laid the foundation for us, and we got what we got out of the deal, and we're like, woo, I'm happy, I'm good, I'm good to go, I'm, I'm set. 
Because friends, ultimately we say this all the time, if the gospel stops with us, it stops. If the good messagizing stops with me, then it stops. And if it stops with you, then it stops. We are called of God to pass it on to the next generation. And friends, here's what we think. Well, that's why we have pastors. And that's why we have evangelists. And I'm not a professional pastor. And I'm not a professional evangelist. Friends, that cannot be further from the truth. God is calling you and me to get into the mud puddles of human need where the work needs to get done. To speak the name of Jesus into our culture. So over the next, yeah, over the next several weeks... Uh, um, I don't know what this is going to do for church attendance, but over the next several weeks, um, we're going to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, We're going to press into some spiritual discomfortability. Uh, We're going to talk about and put some practical application on what does it mean to share faith? Because my guess is for those of us in this room, who have decided to follow Christ, and I get it, not everybody has, but for those of us who have, we do believe that he is our hope. And we want our children, and we want our friends, and we want our neighbors, and we want our co-workers, no matter where they are from on planet Earth, we want them to know who Christ is. And so we're going to talk about what does it mean practically to share our, our faith. Uh, and, and we're not going to talk about any magical formulas because like some of y'all are freaked out already. Like, Ooh, like there's like a terror going down your spine right now because like you're thinking I'm going to grab you and bring you up here for some sort of like practice run or something like that. We're not going to do any of that. There are no magic formulas. There's nothing to memorize. But we are going to learn to follow the promptings of God in our life. To go where he takes us. And, and it's going to begin with this one idea. And I want you to think about this. I want you to put this into your mind. It's going to come with this one idea that, that God will eventually call you, every one of you, to walk across the room. Well, it doesn't sound that hard, Jay. Well, let's find out what this means. Because he will call you to walk across the room. So... There was this, there's this fellow, his name is Bill Hybels, and uh, he pastors a church called Willow Creek Church in, in Chicago, and it's just a little startup kind of a thing. They got like 25,000 people a week. It's like, it's like a stinking city, right? And, uh, and, and Bill Hybels, um, we're, we're like this, like me and him, we're like this, okay, he doesn't know me from Adam, okay, he doesn't even know I exist, but, but um, he has been the most influential uh, man in my life. I mean, he is, uh, his writings, his books, I, I, like I said, I've never really talked to him or anything, but, but his writings, his, book, uh, his books, and his teachings, um, they have so influenced my faith. It, it, his writings have revolutionized what I think about my own Christian walk. He, he is the one who, who took me from just going, okay, Christianity is nice, and it's fun, and it's fine for me and my little family, to making me want to live a radical call out in my life. It was Bill's work in ministry, that, that changed me like that. And, and frankly, um, Bill Hybels, his work is what we owe Metro to. It was his teachings that made me think of church differently. And, and so if you don't like Metro the way it is, you can really just blame Bill. Don't blame me, okay? Because really, we're just learning from, from them, right? But Bill, he, he wrote, uh, several years ago, um, he, he wrote a book called Walk Across the Room. And, and it was so insightful. And in this book, He talks about what does it mean for the average Christian to share their faith 
And how does this work in our lives? And I just want to kind of share a story that kind of comes from this book, and then we'll kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Um, But he writes in this book, um, that he was invited to a luncheon in the Deep South. He, Bill's very, very famous, and he goes all over the world all the time, and he was invited to go to this luncheon as a guest, and it was in this hotel ballroom, and when he gets into this hotel ballroom, he said he was assigned a seat in this for, for, for lunch, and he was seated with a bunch of people he had never met before. And he said what struck him uh, right away was in, seated, in being seated with all these people was how diverse this group was. It was black and white, young and old, and you could tell there was different economic status all seated together in this one little lunch table. And it says, somebody gets up front and they start doing whatever they do. And he says, eventually the person up front says, well, I'd like you to take a minute and just kind of introduce yourself to those around the table. And so he says, as they're going from person to person, he says, he introduces himself. And then eventually directly across from him is seated a very large African-American gentleman who looked like a linebacker from the NFL. I mean, just tough as nails. And he says, when this guy introduces himself, he introduced himself with a name that was distinctly Muslim. Distinctly Muslim. Like Muhammad Allah, blah, 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 right? And, and it was no doubt, it was a Muslim name. And so Bill just kind of took note of that. And so this whole deal is going. This, this guy's up front talking. Bill's at this table. And he says, all of a sudden, this... This, this black, Muslim, NFL-looking football player dude turns around and mouths the words to Bill. He says, I love your books. And Bill's like, looking over his shoulder because he's, he's having trouble putting this together. He literally says in his book, he goes, I thought there must have been another famous author seated behind me or something because how would this guy even know my books? I mean, here's this black Muslim guy, right? And, and uh, Bill goes, and the guy goes, yeah. <laughs> like, that, like that, you know, they're kind of doing the mouthing thing, right? And, and so, um, and, and then the, this guy says, we'll talk later. And so Bill was very eager to have this little talk. And so after lunch was done and they had this little break, he says this, this large African-American dude pulls him aside and begins to share his story. And he says something like this. He says, I know this is very curious to you. And I, I bet you you're probably wondering how this even comes to be. But let me tell you uh, my, my story a little bit. And this is where we're going to pick it up. I'm just going to read kind of sections of this, of this storytelling um, that, that Bill does. He says, uh, he says this, he says, so the, he's quoting the black uh, Muslim guy, right? This African-American dude. He says, uh, I understand uh, that this is probably a little confusing because you assume that I am a Muslim. Well, let me tell you my story. I have been a Muslim my whole adult life. Uh, being an African-American Muslim in a southern city and being in the profession that I'm in is not always an easy thing. As you might imagine, I have had some struggles in social settings. He went on to say that in the profession I'm in, we have a lot of cocktail and dinner parties and a lot of evening events. And in the natural course of those events, it becomes natural for me at these parties where, uh, that I'm served a drink or some hors d'oeuvres of some kind. I try to make a few business contacts in the room, but inevitably, but inevitably, I wind up standing alone in the corner at most parties until enough time has elapsed where I feel I can gracefully make an exit. And then I subtly, subtly, subtly uh, leave the room. The whole dynamic is just something that I've learned to deal with. So he says, you know, in these parties, he's out of place. He's a black Muslim in a southern, predominantly white Christian community. And so he feels out of place and eventually at these parties he just says he stays long enough to make sure he checks his time off for his boss and then he gets out, right? And then he says this, the Muslim Muslim man uh, went on to tell Bill that 
quote, one night uh, when he was at such a party, he found himself with a drink in one hand, a plate of food in the other, standing all by himself as usual. Sure, there were groups of people gathered throughout the entire room, talking, laughing, engaging in conversation, making business contacts. But there he was again alone with no one to talk to and nothing to do except just stand there looking over the place. At some point during the party, the Muslim man noticed a guy standing on the other side of the room uh, who was in the middle of a deep conversation with a bunch of people of his own color and his own kind. The guy looked away from his little group and he saw, made eye contact with our Muslim friend standing alone just 10 feet or so away. He was perplexed that this guy would even care to notice him, but what happened next utterly shocked this Muslim African-American man. The guy actually excused himself from his conversation, turned away from his group, walked all the way across the room, stuck out his hand to the Muslim man and introduced himself and then asked the Muslim man's uh, uh, name. From there, the conversation unfolded uh, smoothly and so naturally. They talked about mutual profe- their mutual profession. They talked about their families. They talked about their business in general. They talked about sports and all sorts of things. Eventually, in the same conversation, faith came up. Faith became part of this little conversation. Uh, This African-American told Bill that at one point in the conversation, he became a little hesitant to share his faith. He just assumed that it would have the same unfavorable reaction that he had with everybody else when this man would learn that he was a Muslim. But he took the risk since the man asked. And to his surprise, the guy said, well... I'm a Christ follower, but, pr- but truth be told, I know almost nothing about the Islam faith and have met hardly a Muslim in my life. And I'm wondering, would you do the courtesy of, uh, for me sometime, maybe over breakfast, I'll treat of giving me the Cliff Notes version of your faith system. You know, why you committed yourself to Islam, uh, hearing your story would be, well, pretty interesting to me. And so they made a breakfast appointment. The Muslim man said he almost fainted right then and there in the room. Can you imagine his surprise when he saw a Christ follower in a social setting like that operating with such openness and with such grace? Well, the two men agreed to meet for breakfast the following week and had a conversation and and a conversation ensued that was absolutely incredible. The Christian man felt free to ask about this man's Islamic faith and the Muslim man felt free to answer them. Those questions. That meeting led to another meeting, which led to another meeting, which led to another meeting. And for weeks on end, the two men gathered for cups of coffee and breakfast um, so that one Christ follower could take an interest in a man who was living far from the heart of God. Hmm. Pretty incredible, huh? Listen to what happens next. At some point in this series of breakfast, an interesting thing happens. The Muslim man realized that this Christian guy had been a good listener all of this time. Week after week after week after week, he hadn't judged this Muslim man for his life choices. He hadn't wedged into the conversation his own agenda. He just kept showing up with a listening and a gentle spirit interested in this Muslim man's life. Um, And I'll let the Muslim man kind of just tell you the rest of the story as he told it to Bill in this little book. He said this, I really didn't remember that much about the Christian faith, but I had been a Christian at some point in my life, early in my childhood. But racism in our community had infiltrated my little church I'd grown up with. Eventually, we just left the faith altogether. It doesn't take a genius to know when you're not wanted or welcomed. Pause. Could you imagine that? 
that will never happen in our church. Amen? Ever. Ever. So this is what he says. He says, um, you can imagine that what it was like to not be wanted. But for some reason, I was prompted during these breakfast meetings to say, well, you've been such a good listener all this time. Would you be willing to refresh my memory of the Christian faith? And from there, it all happened so easily and respectfully and sensitively. And, and to make a long story short, many months later, after determining that Christianity was a superior faith system, I committed myself to Jesus Christ. And it has made an unbelievable change in my life. And then he went on to write this. And Bill, he says, and Bill, I'm now part of a local church. And that is where I came across some of your books that you've written. And I can tell you that you have made a difference in my life. And Christianity has changed my life. And listen, and in the lives of my entire family. Woo, come on. Friends, I want you to hear this, that the single greatest gift a follower of Christ could give anybody is a connection with the one who created them and loves them. It's the greatest gift. The greatest gift is not some business connection. It's not some job opportunity. It's not even a friendship. Those things are all good. But the greatest gift that we can ever give anybody on planet earth is the opportunity to connect with the one who created them. To know God, to love God. Um, friends, listen, um, this is good messagizing, right? This is you and me, simply, sensitively, but lovingly, carrying the good message of Christ to the world around us. It's not about beating somebody over the head with a big fat Bible. It's not about making sure that they're your project or that they're, they're your mission or that somehow you're gonna win this argument with them. It is simply loving them like Jesus loved them and caring about them and pointing eventually not to a church, not to a band, not to a preacher, but to the one who saves you. And his name is Jesus, amen? Amen, amen, amen. This is what it's about, friends. It's about, it's about giving the gift that you've give, been given. It's about giving that gift away. It's about saying, okay, God, I'm ready to be used. I, I want to get into the game of eternity. How does this happen? It happens when we say, I want to make a difference in this world. And, and that's when a follower of Christ who is seated in the lazy boy figures out how to get out of the lazy boy and walk across the room as a gift bearer to this relationship that we found with Jesus. And, and I want you to think about this. All this began when one common, ordinary follower of Jesus at a cocktail party, a social gathering, looks up and sees a man alone who is not like him, who is clearly different than him, and he takes some steps across the room and I'm guessing on his way across the room, he was freaking out. But once he took those first few steps, he was committed. And he was saying, God, just use me. God, just say something through me. He didn't have all the words. He didn't know anything about whatever. He just said, God, use me. Uh, and so today, I want us to begin this process of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. 
by understanding that to get usable to God, and I hope, friends, that that is something that you want. Listen, I hope that you want to be used by God. No, 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 friends, listen. I hope that you want to be used up completely by God. So that when you take your dying breath, because you'll probably be laid out on some bed somewhere when you're dying, that you can die in peace because you were fully used by God. That where you didn't go to, to, to your death with any regrets, but that you were carrying this good news with you to the day you died, right? And so we wanna get, we wanna get good at being used by God and, and this is where it starts. Let me tell you where this begins. The usability factor begins when you say to God, take me out of my comfort circles. Listen to me. It begins when you decide to say, you know what? I'm just tired of the lazy boy. I like the lazy boy. I'll come back to the lazy boy once in a while, but I want more than that. I want you, God, to make my life interesting, I want to take risks and I want to see where you're going to meet me in those risks because I want more for my faith than just to be comfortable and to go to a nice, comfortable church and to go around nice, comfortable people. God, I want you to use me. That's where it starts, friends. The first step to getting usable is being willing to get ourselves up and out of the lazy boy, out from the circles of comfort that we live in and get beyond ourselves. You you think about this for a moment. This all began when this man, I want to put this little illustration on the screen for you. It all starts when this man gets out of his little comfort zone. Put that little drawing up with the circle. There you go. That little circle represents your little world. And let's just be honest. This is where most of us live. We try to make life our own little bubble. Comfortable. Pleasing to ourselves. But listen, where this is, we know that there's no harm that's going to come to us. There's no risk to us. It's not going to cost us very much to stay in the bubble. But God does not call us to stay in the bubble. Um, Put this next thing up there. This little X, right? That that represents the other side of the coin. That, that, That represents um, this idea of the leading from God in your life. Listen, my hope for our church for you and for me, that that we would get used to hearing the voice of God in our life and that we would learn to obey it, not argue with it, not go, well, someday I'm going to get to that, but right now I got to watch a football game. I got to go clean my garage again. I got to make sure my lawn's cut. When God calls you, obey him. Obey him, right? So we got to get our mind, we're just going to call it the leading of God or from God in our life. And this started when this man was in his little circle and, and, he, and he sees this guy and he, and he feels this leading from God and he decides to get up and move. Now remember, he had no idea if God would meet him there. He had no idea how this would turn out. But he took the risk because he wanted to be used by God. Uh, I had an experience like this one time and I've shared this before many years ago here, but at one point in my life, I was, uh, we were about maybe six, seven years into the life of our church here, and we were trying to figure this whole thing out. And, um, and I got to this personal point um, where I was praying like every day for God to just use me personally. Like if I was going to lead this little church, then it had to start with me. And I had to say, God, I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to just sit here and go through motions. I want to be used by you. And so I, I remember driving uh, up, up Allen Road and, uh, and to the glory of God, there was a Taco Bell there for lunch. And, uh, and so I'm pulling into Taco Bell and this is going to be, sound very strange to some of you. But I'm praying, literally praying, God, 
I want you to use me. And I hear this little leading from God. And I know this sounds strange to some of you, but I hear this little leading from God that says, fine, share your faith with the very first person that you meet. I'm like, what? No, God, I want to be used by you, but not quite like that, (laughs) right? But God just says to me very gently, then share your faith with the very first person you meet. So I pull into this little parking spot right up near the door and I get out of the car and there is this big group of people coming. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) crud, right? I mean, there's like 10 of them or something like that. But at the exact same moment I look up and I see this, now I don't know if this was an excuse, I don't know, but, but I go, oh, and I feel like, well, maybe I should go back. We had all these little cards we give out at Metro, right? So I figured, maybe you got to use one of those cards. So I go back to my car, conveniently letting that large group of people go in the door. Correct? So I go back to my car. True story. I get this little card. And I put it in my pocket. And I start walking. And I'm coming to the door. And literally, just as I get to this door, there is this, it's summertime. There's this 22, 23-year-old young blonde lady wearing a Playboy shirt that was cut down to her navel. And I go, God, you cannot be serious. (laughs) True story. And I'm like, God, this will not go well. I mean, this lady's going to think I'm hitting on her and this is like, I'm the young pastor of this church and this is not going to, I'm a married man. What will people think this? And God said, well, that was the deal. And I'm like, oh, jeez. The place was packed out for lunch. I go through the line, and I'm trying to avoid even looking in her direction, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and I'm like going, oh, boy, oh, boy. And I'm like, God, there's got to be another opportunity here. And I'm freaking out. Have you ever felt like God telling you to do something? And you are just freaking out about it, okay? I, gotta, I was freaking out about this. And so I'm in line, and uh, I get my order, and this girl is right in front of me. And, uh, and she goes and sits down. And I'm not kidding. I finally get my little tray, and I look across this full Taco Bell at lunch, There was nowhere to sit but the seat right next to her. The only open seat in the entire room. I'm like going, oh, you gotta be kidding. So I sit down, no kidding, I sit down and I'm like, I'm done, you know? And I'm like, I'm on my way out. And then God's like, you serious? Because I literally get to the glass door and God says, are you serious, Mr. Pastor? I'm like, oh. So I turn back to this young lady. I come and I sit down again. I go, ma'am, I know this is going to sound crazy. I promise you, I'm not hitting on you. I'm a married man. I'm a very happily married man. Trust me, I'm not going to ask for your number. I'm not going to do anything. I just want to tell you something. That I feel God calling me just to share uh, his love with you. I just want you to know that I don't know what's going on in your life. And I'm like freaking out. This I'm like, you know, I'm just rambling. But I just know that God loves you. And whatever is going on in you, whatever is... Um, whatever you're advertising in life, you know, this, this means something. Your whole get up, it means, I'm just saying that God loves you for who you are. And you don't have to sell yourself to anybody. You just don't. I'm like, okay, I'm done, thank you. And uh, so literally, I, I start to leave, and she goes, hold on a minute, sir, sit down. So I'm like, oh, crud. So I come back down, I'm looking around, like the guys are gonna beat me up or something. And so I sit down, I'm like, yeah. And she goes, and she just starts to cry. And she says, um, I left my house um, several months ago and I hadn't talked to my parents in months and they're Christians and I was raised in a Christian church and I've been living totally away from God and uh, just this morning, just this morning, I spoke to my mom for the first time and she simply said, you are welcomed home. You are welcomed home. 
And I just said, well, maybe God is telling you the same thing. That you are welcome to him. And I got up and got out of there. <laughs> you know, as fast as I could, right? Um, and I gave her a little card, you know. Um, but friends, I'm going to tell you something. This man walks across the room and put this little drawing up there uh, that builds on it. He, he walks across the room and enters what Bill Hybels calls the zone of the unknown. Ooh. The zone of the unknown. This is that, that moment where you're in your circle and, and, and you feel God is calling you to do something, telling you to do something, and then he points it out to you where you're supposed to end up. And there's this great middle zone, and Bill calls it the zone of the unknown. And that was that journey from my car to the Taco Bell door. That was that journey from like holding the thing and going, where am I going to sit? Because I ain't sitting next to her. But I'm going to tell you something about the zone of the unknown. That is where God does his best work. When we take risks, when we take steps, when we move forward, God does in us what we cannot do for ourselves. God meets us in the zone of the unknown. Um, Listen, it's in the zone of the unknown that, that God shows up in ways that we never even thought possible. Um, And and so I wonder, in in this room, where God is calling you? I mean, because I believe he is calling you somewhere, to somebody, to some group, to some person that needs to hear about the love of their creator. And you've been holding back, but it's the zone of the unknown. You're not sure what God's gonna do if you take this walk across the room. It is time for some of us to take the walk across the room. And he will meet you there and he will show up. It may not turn out like the way you think, but God promises to meet you there. So take the walk, friends. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful. Um, you think about this. The, the day Christ followers like you and me stop making those walks across the room is the day the kingdom of God comes to an end. The day you and I stop reaching toward our children is the day the gospel stops. The day we stop going around the world and we start going, well, somebody else will go is the day the kingdom comes to an end. The day we say somebody else will pay for it, pray for it, care about it, serve at it is the day the kingdom comes to an end. We're called to this zone of the unknown. And friends, listen, if you have submitted your life to Christ, um, this doesn't require a pastor or a preacher or a book writer. We're not, he's not calling you to write a song. If you've been a Christian for 20 years or two months, it doesn't matter. What God is looking for is just usable people, common and ordinary, who say, God, just I want you to use me. And so friends, listen, um, if you've submitted your life to Christ, but wonder why you're not rocketing forward in your faith. You're wondering, like, have I, it must be the church because I'm not growing spiritually. My humble suggestion to you is that, or my humble thought to you or pushback towards you is that you've clung to your circles of comfort and you have purposely not engaged the spirit of God. You purposely have resisted his leadership in your life. We don't grow because when God leads, we say no. We don't grow because when God leads us, we say, no, 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 I got better things to do. God, I got other things going on in my life. God, I don't know how that's going to happen. God, I'm not ready. I'm not equipped. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You got to use the pastor for that. No, friends, we don't grow because when God leads us, we don't go. We say no to him. And friends, this has just got to change 
in our life. It doesn't take a Christian superstar. It takes you and me being usable by God. I remember, again, a few years ago, I was uh, in this place where I was just saying, God, I just want you to use me. And, and do you guys remember when Bally's Gym was open over there in West St. Allen area? I remember going into this locker room. That's where I got my big muscles from. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm in this locker room, and I'm, I'm literally praying on the bench, God, would you, would you do something big in my life? And then, two seconds later, this big Italian, like one of those V- your hawk of a guy walks in and he is flaming mad. I don't know what he's mad at, but he is slamming lockers and throws his bag across the gym, you know, the locker room there. And he's, boom, he's opening, he's slamming everything around. I'm like, oh. And God says, well, here would be a good chance right here. And I'm like, God, could you not send somebody who could like, maybe somebody who can't crush me in one fatal blow, right? But God says, no, 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 you, you speak. And I don't know what I, I was thinking. I said to this guy, no kidding, this guy is mad. He's saying words pastors normally don't say. And, and I go, hey, maybe you don't want to break all the lockers. And he looks at me. What'd you say? I said, oh, uh, I think people might think you're stealing stuff. And that would not be good, you know. And yeah, sorry, I got to go. And he, and no kidding, in this little moment, it probably lasted two minutes. I was scared spitless. I say this stupid little thing, and this guy comes up to me. I go, oh, no, oh, no, this is not good. And he sits down right next to me. True story, honest to God. Sits down next to me, and he starts to weep. Weep. Big hunk of a man. Starts to weep. I'm like, oh, dude, what's, uh, what's wrong? And, and uh, he goes, oh, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry. I go, no, man, I'm a... I'm actually a pastor, and I'm a lot tougher than I look. <laughs> and he looks up at me, he goes, you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I believe in God, and I believe in a big God, and I believe in a good God. If you want to talk, I talk. He looks at me, no kidding. He says, my son just tried committing suicide. And he's in the hospital right now, and I don't know anything I can do for him. I don't know what to do. I just don't and so right there in Valley's gym, we prayed together. Just prayed and cried and prayed and asked God to do what man cannot do. And friends, I just think about this. Um, what if we were a church what if we were men and women who in the spirit of God led us? We would say, I'm usable. We would say, God, send me right here. I don't know everything to say. I don't know what to do half the time. But God, all I know is that I'm hearing your voice and I want to go. What if we were a church that became usable to God? What if we were a people? What if you were a family? What if you were a marriage? What if you were a single adult? What if you were a single teenager? What if you were a grandpa? What if you were a grandma who said, God, I don't have all the right things to say, but God, use me. I want to be used. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I want beautiful feet. I want beautiful feet for me. How beautiful are the feet. Jesus, we come before you and ask that your spirit would speak into our lives. 
I, I think one of the big problems with Christianity is that it's become mundane to people. But it's become mundane because we do not risk when you call. We don't answer when you call. Forgive us, God. Change us. Grow us. Make us comfortable with being completely uncomfortable. God, get us out of this lazy boy existence into the kingdom of God. My brothers and sisters, I don't know what is going on in your life, but I know that God wants to use you. You. My brothers and sisters, I pray that you would know the goodness and the grace of God. And that you would be willing to be a good messenger. I I pray that God's spirit would come over you with a call so strong that you decide to leave your comfort, uh, your circles of comfort and go to the unknown zone where God does his best work, where he promises to meet with you. Let him use you. In Jesus' name, we say, amen.